Blog Talk Radio. <laughs>
truth told that there can be a virtual... Good morning. You're listening to Reason Talk Radio. Early birds wake up hours. Uh, 54 minutes left till 7 a.m. This is May 9th, 2018. I'm your host, CEO and producer, Rob Reason. This is Current Affairs Wake Up Call. Every Wake Up Wednesday, chime in by calling 563-999-3469 during live broadcast. We'd like to announce that we'll be coming on live for two hours this afternoon from 12 to 2 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. We'd like you to join in. Once again, that number is 563-999-3469. Hear and speak with host and co-host Joseph Youssef White, or just simply call in to socialize live on air with us at Reason Talk Radio. Thank you for logging in, checking in, tuning in, listening in. And calling in at dates and times that you do. Chief sponsor is Angelia Reason. Some of our major sponsors via iTunes podcast is Mercedes Benz, Gap, Banana Republic, Xfinity, Disneyland, Macy's, and more from uh, iTunes podcast. Not mentioned at this juncture. Once again, thank you for your love and support. We love you back. This is Reason Talk Radio. Wake up Wednesday, current affairs, world news, and more. Wake up, U.S. Okay, that's one issue. U.S. federal debt and the U.S. full-time employees. So sometimes you'll see this rebuttal, that there are more people working, more people in the workforce means more tax dollars. It's beneficial for the economy. Things are doing well. There are more people employed today than ever before. We hear out these lies. Well, Take a look again at that $21 trillion debt and you can see also the full-time employees heading up to a level of 127 here. This is the uh, full-time employees in the million. And so many people would say there are more full-time employees now. We're gaining on what happened before compared to you know 121 here in 2008. Things are doing well. Well, it's not exactly the case. Let's take a look at this. Debt against full-time jobs added per period. We have a very big problem on our hands and I'm glad that there are charts like this that can really show it for us and those who actually want to know the truth are going to look at this and say, oh, that makes sense. So you can see here, during this period of time, the amount of debt has escalated dramatically since the financial crisis, okay? We've seen that. We thought it was really bad leading up to the financial crisis, and then afterward it has escalated to new heights. Well, look at every time there's a recession, or maybe you want to look at it as basically as time goes on, less and less full-time employees are added, full-time jobs. That's not a good sign. When we really need them, they're not coming through. So back in the 90s, it's basically halved in terms of that amount afterwards. And then it's getting less and less and less every time. Every single time it's going to get worse unless something major changes. So far, we are seeing a lot of temporary jobs that have been added. That's not good. I mean, it's better than nothing, sure. 
but are temporary jobs the solution to the problems that we have? Of course not. Of course not. Temporary jobs are an epidemic, in fact. It's fine if you want to work a temporary job, if you enjoy your temporary job, but a lot of people don't. A lot of people get temp jobs because that's all they can get. They work the temp job, they work two or three temp jobs that skews the numbers. At the same time, they are basically waiting, hoping for something better. A lot of times it doesn't happen. Okay, next. Debt per net full-time job added. I mean, it was pretty clear in the uh, previous, but you can just see here, it is just escalating to new heights once again. It's shocker to some that you would think, wow, there's that much debt in the system. But if you've been paying attention, and I'm sure you have, if you're watching this video, you'll know that this is the truth, that many people are burdened, overburdened by debt. And they feel it every day. Debt is that thing that hangs upon people every day. They are unable to shake it off. They carry it with them everywhere they go and unfortunately those who are employed still have this problem those who are unemployed are even in a worse issue growth of the debt per full-time employee dwarves the growth of the disposable income per full-time employee so you would say it's manageable this debt is absolutely manageable, not an issue. Well, the growth of the debt per full-time employee, that was okay until financial crisis. Escalating beyond any reason. And then the green line here, you can see that it is slowly and steadily, not in nominal terms, not in real terms, nominally increasing. So we have a huge chasm in between that has formed ever since that time. It's only getting worse. People are going to be in big, big trouble simply because they are unable to afford their daily expenses. Housing prices are too expensive. Rental prices are too expensive. So what are they doing? Well, unfortunately, they're going further and further into debt. It's a cycle that continues to repeat. And unfortunately, a lot of people aren't able to get out of it. It's a trap. Months necessary for all U.S. full-time employees, DPI, to pay off their federal debt. Imagine your disposable personal income here. How long this would take? Well, previously, for... It was a small amount. Four. Then it gets to become 7 in the 90s, then 9, then 11. That was terrible. Now it's 18. 18 months. And of course, there's no way out of it. I assure you, we'll be looking at these charts two years from now. These numbers will be significantly higher. You can't deleverage. It's impossible. That's what a lot of people aren't understanding. There are some who say, who cares about deleveraging? A McKinsey uh, belief system and all this uh, silly business that you can just continue to do this without any repercussions. Unfortunately, at some point, there has to be repercussions because the um, take take it for really what it is. I mean, you can't just take these statistics. We have to piece it together all the other uh, you know 
15, 1600 videos that I've done, the books I've written. Don't just cherry pick. That's what a lot of people do when they're naysaying. But look at this. We have a situation where there's all these derivatives that are underlying all the uh, financial system, all the stocks and the bonds. That's one thing. They're a fraud on their own. But underlying that, you have these derivative products with no underlying asset, and yet they sit there just waiting, ready and waiting to destroy everything. We're going to have to see what happens. Taking time bomb, you know that previously what happened here was an issue nobody thought would be anything to worry about. Subprime mortgages, that's just, that's something else. Don't worry about it. We had all those mortgage-backed securities. We had all those different collateralized debt obligations. It's a small piece of the puzzle. Plus, they're diversified. We're talking about real estate from all over the U.S., top to bottom. It's fine. Rated AAA, nothing's going to happen. Suddenly, nobody was predicting it, okay? Just a small handful of people. And then, things changed in an instant. Of course, that will never happen again, right? Sure. 1790 to 2018, U.S. debt to GDP versus annual population growth percentage. And this is something of note. You can see that during these uh, different time periods that go on. We have escalation of the debt. Right now, it's at an astronomical level. I mean, it's not even a consideration to compare back what was happening in 1790 to today because it's gone completely out of whack. Look at the next chart here. Household net worth as a percentage of disposable income versus savings rate. Garbage. 2.4%. Why? Because more and more people are getting into, number one, your different type of stocks, bonds, ETFs. They're looking at all these, you know, putting more and more into their homes, buying homes as an asset. And a lot of people are not sophisticated enough. They don't know what they're doing. And of course, it's going to be a big problem. 2.4% of your personal savings rate, that's an average. There's a lot of people who have nothing. They're completely running off of debt. That's a big issue, okay? But let's pretend that it's not for a moment here. Household net worth as a percentage of disposable income has accelerated to 677%. Now, that's not normal. It really isn't. Of course, it beats the records uh, we've seen previously, but how many times have you heard me say that? There have been times in which things made sense, okay, or at least more sense. Right now, that's not one of those times, okay? When the average person has so little in terms of their actual, uh, let's say, what they have on hand, um, compare that to previous times in history, it's completely out of whack. A lot of people today, a good majority of them, are buying 
their stocks, bonds, whatever the heck they're getting into on leverage, on margin. It's worse, actually margin is worse than leverage. Um, think about how bad buying stocks on margin is. It can make you so much money on the way up. But just a fraction going downward and immediately they're just completely destroyed. That's what people don't understand. They're thinking, hey, I get to own, let's say, 10 times the value of the stock. That means I get to profit 10 times as much. That's amazing. When the stocks are going up, congratulations. When the stocks are coming down, it doesn't take much to put you out. So that's all for this video. If you found it informative, please give me a thumbs up. When you give me a thumbs up, that supports the channel. So I do appreciate it very much. Just want to thank each and every one of you out there in any way that you are supporting me, whether it's through thumbs up and comments and subscriptions to the channel. I do appreciate all of that. Or whether it's through uh, Patreon or, or the uh, cryptocurrencies or whether it is through PayPal or anything else. I really do appreciate all of those, so thank you very much. If you're interested in taking a look through my books, there are links in the description of this video that you can check out to flip through them for yourself. Take care. The United States has more than $21 trillion in national debt. Let's try and wrap our heads around just how much money that is. Firstly, what's a trillion? A trillion is 1,000 billion, or one, followed by 12 zeros. That's a big number, so let's break it down. If we assume you are a millionaire, and you have all your money in $1,000 bills, that's 1,000 of them to make up your million. And if you stack the bills on top of each other, that stack would be just over 4 inches high. You'd be pretty happy. Now let's say you had 1,000 of those stacks, making you a billionaire. The cash would now be 358 feet tall, which is roughly the height of a 35-story building. And what if you had a thousand of those stacks, making you a trillionaire? Well, then your cash stack would be 67.9 miles high, which is more than nine times the height that a commercial airline flies. Now that's just one trillion dollars, and the U.S. debt is a cool 21 trillion. In today's episode of the Infographic Show, we're going to be looking at what would happen if the U.S. defaulted on its debt. You don't just wake up one day and find yourself owing a stack of money that would stretch to the moon. It takes a lot of spending. 50 years ago, the U.S. national debt was around $350 billion, and the one trillion milestone was not reached until the early 1980s. But that's still a big jump to arrive at today's $21 trillion. With big tax cuts, spending on things such as war, and then with economic stimulus packages, it all adds up. The debt rises because if the U.S. government spends more money than it collects in taxes, then it needs to make up the shortfall by selling U.S. Treasury bonds to investors. These investors are typically other countries. So what's defaulting all about? When a country defaults on its debt, it's called a sovereign default. If the U.S. were to default, it would essentially stop paying the money it owed to the investors of the U.S. Treasury bonds. There's a lot of speculation online about what would happen if the U.S. stopped making these payments, and though many of the major media outlets have run features exploring this question, no one really knows exactly what would take place. The general consensus is that the world markets would plunge and global interest rates would be considerably hitched up. And of course, the impact would be felt by the U.S. creditors, those other countries who are owed the money. Let's take a look at five potential knock-on effects that would occur as a result of the U.S. defaulting on its debt. Depression and unemployment. 
the Treasury and Federal Reserve would make their way through banks and eventually blow a hole through the Main Street economy. The unemployment rate would rise and huge amounts of uncertainty would take center stage. The stock market would suffer with stock prices falling as investors fled to other countries for safer stock or gold investments. Recession would be on the economic horizon. Public service disruption. There would be no money to pay salaries or benefits for federal or military personnel and retirees, social security recipients, Medicare bills, student loans, tax refunds, and payments to keep government facilities open. The result would create a great deal of disruption and unrest across the American public. Effect on business. A U.S. debt default would significantly raise the cost of doing business. Companies would have to pay higher interest rates on loans and bonds to compete with the higher interest rates of the U.S. Treasury. There would be price increases on goods and services and rising inflation. Business would suffer, and as a result, there would be higher unemployment. U.S. dollar impact. There would be mass selling of the U.S. dollar, an event that would threaten the greenback status as the world's reserve currency. Prices for everyday commodities would go up, our groceries, clothes, and fuel all would rise, and we'd be saying goodbye to low mortgage rates. All of this would affect buying patterns, which again would further impact the economy. Global markets impacted. The U.S. economy has far-reaching impact, so it would not only be the homeland where the effects would be felt. According to CNN Money, who referenced Treasury numbers in a 2016 feature, foreign nations hold just over 32% of the U.S. debt. The list is long, but China and Japan stand out with over 50% of the 32%. As an example, Japan owns about $1.14 trillion. This is equivalent to 20% of its annual economic output and would shake the Japanese economy for sure. This speculation is all fascinating, we hear you say, but do we have anything to base the assumptions on? Let's look at a real example in another country. The most recent debt crisis was in Greece in 2015. The country formally defaulted on a $1.7 billion payment to the International Monetary Fund in Athens. Nowhere near a trillion, but it was still hugely disruptive to this Balkan tourist destination. The Guardian ran an article last year looking at the effects of the Greek default. They referenced a study by the Dionysus think tank, which found that in 2015, 15% of the population, or 1.6 million people, earned below the extreme poverty threshold when six years previously, in 2009, that number did not exceed 2.2%. And according to the Bank of Greece, the net wealth of Greek households fell by a staggering 40% in the same period. Though unemployment has recently dropped, it is still the highest in the European Union at 22%. What did this mean to an everyday Greek person? One example is Chrysa Christodoulaki, a French-trained hairdresser who had paid into a pension fund for almost 45 years. Her pension started out at 1,750 euros a month, then it was cut to 1,430 euros a month, and then cut again to 960 euros a month. It's not a pretty picture, but then how realistic is the prospect of the U.S. defaulting on its debt? From everything we researched, it certainly seems highly unlikely. One reason is that all U.S. government debt is denominated in U.S. dollar assets. But a more intriguing reason the U.S. would apparently never default, in the words of Alan Greenspan, an American economist who served as chairman of the Federal Reserve of the United States from 1987 to 2006, is that the United States can pay any debt it has because it can always print money to do that. So there is zero probability of default. We're not entirely sure how true that is, but it's certainly an interesting idea to consider. So, what do you think would happen if the U.S. defaulted on its debt? War? Famine? The apocalypse? Let us know your thoughts in the comments. Also, be sure to check out our other video called How Is Life Different for Billionaires?
Thanks for watching, and as always, don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. See you next time. You're listening to Reason Talk Radio, early bird hours. Wake up Wednesday. Charles, good to see you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Lots to talk about, but I want to start by going backward mm-hmm. and talking about Leeds, Alabama, where you grew up. Yeah. I read somewhere about your first day at the Leeds Elementary School and that there were some folks who weren't that happy that you were there because uh, you were one of the first black students to integrate this school. Obviously, we're kids. We don't understand all the stuff that's going on. Uh, but it taught me a lot about life that I actually use today because there were more people who were nice to us than who weren't nice to us. And I try to use that. Anytime I'm involved with a conversation on race, you can't blanket any group. I mean, I, 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 I'm very particular about that when I have that conversation. You don't blanket, like, uh, all Muslims are not terrorists. All Hispanics are not illegal immigrants. I always parse my words because I think it's important. I think I saw an interview years ago with your mom who said that uh, in those early days, maybe it was the first day, that your grandmother uh, took you uh, to school and passed some protesters mm-hmm. you, and uh, had a, a, a pistol in her purse just in case. Well, my grandmother is a regular. She's the greatest person ever in my life, but she's a regular. Johnny Mae uh, Edwards. John, Johnny Mae Edwards, and she she was a regular Annie Oakley. <laughs> uh, she was always packing heat. Um, my grandmother, she was tough. She didn't take any, any BS off anybody, but she always had her peace and was not afraid to use it if push came to shove. You lived uh, right near Birmingham. Yes. She was involved in that civil rights movement in the, in the 50s and the 60s. My grandmother always, growing up, talked about civil rights. She talked about Dr. Martin Luther King, Mecca Evers, even Malcolm X. But she always talked about, always remember these people. I mean, she always talked about it, even when I was, uh, especially when I was a little kid, but even when I became a teenager and started becoming, she's don't forget, because uh, She's the reason that Muhammad Ali is the greatest sports influence in my life. I mean, she talked about these people all the time, and, and I really appreciate her giving me that foundation. She worked in a meat packing plant. Uh, my mom was a maid, uh, and, and my grandmother worked in a meat packing factory, and they worked so hard because, you know, uh, I've had two brothers who passed away, uh, so it was four of us total uh, in the beginning. But they worked so hard, because obviously you're not making a lot of money as a maid, and you're not making a lot of money in the meat factory. But we didn't feel like we were poor. We didn't know it, but we were. But we never felt like that. We always had meals. We always had good clothing. Uh, they, they did an amazing job. But race was, you, you were born in the year when the four little girls were in killed, Birmingham, yeah. killed in the church in Birmingham. So there had to be some sense of, edge and there was always an edge but you didn't know what it was until you started getting older mm-hmm. like i say you know the really sad thing about all this stuff is they bombed the church the year i was born and now in 2018 we still have a race problems so i just turned 55 so i can count but so for 55 years we've still had this the bs of racism going on we should grow as people we should grow as a country. 
Uh, you know, Muhammad Ali, uh, I was reading up on him when he passed away, and he said, if you're the same person at 50 you were at 20, you wasted 30 years. And yet you, uh, you did an interview in 2005 with my old boss, uh, Barack Obama, just after he, yes. just after he got elected to the mm -hmm. Senate. Yeah. And you wrote some very, and said some very nice things about him, and you said he, he has the qualities of someone who could run for president of the United States, but you didn't believe that he could get elected president oh, of the United I, States. I, I never thought in my life, lifetime we'd have a black president. Never, uh, never thought that. Uh, but what I said was, he has the it factor. When you talk to him, you're like, oh, he is the smartest guy in the room. <laughs> he has charisma. He has personality. And I, I, I can't remember verbatim. I said, he's going to be something amazing uh, one day. I never thought he was going to be president. Uh, I never thought in my lifetime I'd see a black president. And I remember the night he got elected. I was sitting around with a bunch of my friends. And I got really emotional and tear-eyed. And they're like, Dude, are you all right? He says, you guys don't understand. I'm from the South. And the notion that there, in my lifetime there's a black president, I, I, I'm in shock. I mean, I just couldn't believe it. Let me ask you, do you think uh, that uh, Trump is kind of a reaction to no Obama? No question. No question to people. It's kind of like an overreaction. The situation with President Trump is a total overreaction. And I, I just feel bad because you see uh, anti-Semitism, racism. People feel emboldened to, to do things and say things now. Which, do you think he encourages that? Yes, of course he does encourage it. Uh, the way he talks about Muslims, the way he talks about Hispanics, uh, his, some of his interaction with blacks, uh, he definitely encourages it. And, and I feel bad because why do you think he does it? Well, I think he panders to his base. I don't know if he won the presidency. I think they were voting against Miss Clinton uh, more than anything. I, I really believe that. I think it was like they had two choices, and they're like, we don't like her. And this guy here is out of the norm. He wants to, quote, unquote, drain the swamp. I think that's why she lost the election. Uh, she lost it. He didn't win it. Uh, but his actions, the way he's treated minorities, has emboldened these other racists to be more bold, plain and simple. You say these other racists, you, you, you feel that he's a racist? You know, I'm, I'm leery to call anybody racist, but some of the things he has said, because, you know, it, if you really pay attention, which I pay attention to politics. I know you do. When a... a, a, a a certain minority does something. He calls them out. But when that white kid shot up that church in Charleston, he didn't say, let's deport all whites. Uh, when that guy shot up the church down in Texas, he didn't say, let's get rid of all whites. He only talks about his immigration plan when it concerns minorities. But when some, some whites have done some crazy things, he never says, hey, let's deport all these white people. Even you go back to Charlottesville, he didn't condemn them white supremacists. What impact do you think that has on the country? Well, it makes minorities feel like they aren't welcome. I actually, I live in Arizona. I think the Hispanics are amazing people. I think they do a lot of work the blacks and whites don't want to do. I think they work their behind off. 
Uh, do they have some bad Hispanics? Of course they do. Do we have some bad Muslims? Of course we do. But I believe the most majority of Muslim people in this country are amazing, hardworking people. But the president has done an awful job of trying to be inclusive. Uh, when you talk about building a wall, when you talk about deporting, like right now, we're spending all our time talking about uh, Stormy Daniels, Russia. Uh, we got all these kids with DACA who we need, who are amazing people who we need to stay here. We never talk about them. I mean, I, I'm so disgusted with the whole thing, to be honest with you, because like uh, we got the worst public school system in the world. Uh, you know, people talk about economic opportunity. That's only economic opportunity if you're rich. One of the reasons that you are so uh, popular, beloved, is you say whatever the hell you want. Yes, sir. You don't, you don't edit yourself. I do and not. people say, that guy's authentic. Yeah. I, I may not agree with him, but I, I believe him. That's important to me. My job on television is to be honest because there's somebody in Montana, South Dakota, uh, L.A., Maine, Rhode Island, they're supposed to believe what I say. And I take great pride in that. Uh, the reason I ask you this is Trump supporters say he speaks his mind, he's authentic. You think that is uh, part of his appeal? I think that's some of his appeal, but I think nobody ever wants to look in the mirror and say it's my fault. I think he, he reached a demographic that won't look in the mirror and says my life sucks because of me. Then he came right after President Obama, and there were some people who were like, wow, we got a black president. They're not happy with that. And I think it was just a perfect storm. And listen, I never talk bad about the president. Like, I'm going to be factual. I've never been more angry and disgusted at this situation than I am now. This turmoil every single day, uh, the tweeting, the hiring and firing, like, dude, I'm blessed, and you are too. Like, it really ain't going to have a big effect on our life. But I actually have humanity. I want everybody to have a good life. I want everybody to have a good job. I want their kids to go to school. I want their kids to be safe. I want everybody to have economic opportunity. And I, I want to make sure we don't forget about DACA, uh, our public schools. I don't want to forget about those poor people in Puerto Rico either. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I was watching the news last night, and they're still six months out. They don't have power. We don't even mention them anymore. We're wasting all our time on Russia and Stormy Daniels. It's ridiculous. You don't think the Russia thing's an issue? I do not. I think it's probably true that they got... But I'm pretty sure in area election, state, local, national, somebody can get some dirt on somebody if they wanted to. What good Isn't is that it? a concern, though? What, what good, what, what's, the, what's the end game is my question. Uh, is he going to get, uh, is he going to lose his job? Is he going to be impeached? First of all, I don't, I want to make it clear. I don't want Russia interfering in our election. And I'm pretty sure they did. Uh, but, and we just wasted. So you think it's a distraction? It's definitely a distraction. We have spent the last year talking about Russia every single day. Now we got Stormy. Now we got another girl. And I'm sitting here saying, when are we actually going to help? 
You're listening to Reason Talk Radio. Fifteen minutes left in the broadcast on Early Bird Hours of Wake Up Wednesdays. It is May 9th, 2018. I'm your host, CEO and producer, Rob Reason. We are Angelia and Rob Reason of Northern California. On the web with OneReasonProductions.com, please visit us by using the number, not the word. Visit us at OneReasonProductions.com on the web. Some of our major sponsors are Mercedes-Benz, Gap, Banana Republic, Xfinity, Disneyland, Macy's, and more via iTunes Podcast. One love to you and yours. Thank you once again for logging in, checking in, tuning in, listening in, and calling in the dates and times that you do to Reason Talk Radio. We love you for your love and support. Thank you once again. This is Reason Talk Radio. Wake up Wednesdays. Tune in again. 12 to 2 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, covering current affairs, world news, events, simply socializing live on air with you, the listener, and the supporters. The number is 563-999-3469. Here's Bill Mike on Wake Up Wednesday, Reason Talk Radio. On Larry King now, Bill Maher, the outspoken TV host on religion in America. Liberals, I think, are very fuzzy thinking, and they say things like, all religions are alike. No, they're not. If you went and asked Muslims all around the world, do you think it's okay to bring violence on someone who insults the prophet? I think you would get an extraordinary percentage of them who said, yes, that is one area where it is okay. On Clint Eastwood at the RNC. I had no idea he was like, that he was such a, he's such a typical teabagger, you know, doesn't know the facts. This old white guy who feels his claw being pried off the lever of power. Plus, denying that racism exists. That, to me, is very racist. If you ask the people on Planet Teabag, what's the problem racially in America? It's probably reverse racism, Larry. White people who cannot get a break because of all these affirmative action laws. They really believe that. That's next on Larry King Now.
Coast weather for heavy weather. Recent talk radio. See you at 12 noon here for Saturday. God willing. Recent talk radio.
Hey, what's up? It's your girl, Sugar, Sugar. That's right, y'all, making it work, sprinkling you with some love like bosses do. You know what to do. Yo, stay tuned right here on Reason Talk Radio, where it's going down. Don't touch that dial. Keep listening for the next part of the movement. Hashtag Sugar Tea First Lady. And make sure you keep it locked right here and keep it lit on Reason Talk Radio. Peace.